0: Second Peter chapter two, I'll start on verse number one. There were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they, with feigned words, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness, to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Let's read verse nine together. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations, and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. The time
1: of the writing, the Apostle Peter is an aged man. He knows that he's going to depart shortly. God told him he would not. Jesus told him you would not die when you're young, but when you're old. I think it's one of the reasons why he could sleep in the prison whenever his... His pastor James got killed. Uh, James, the 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 uh, James, the brother of John, who was the pastor in the church, primarily the Church of Jerusalem. Whenever Herod beheaded him, and they arrested Peter, uh, and they were praying in Rhoda's house, or Rhoda and John Mark's mother's house, they were praying there for him to get released. Why he could sleep so well, because he knew he was still young. (laughs) He wasn't going to be, he wasn't going home then. He wasn't going to be dying then, because God told him, when you're old, Jesus said, someone's going to gird you, and they're going to take you, and you're going to die on their terms, not your own. Well, he's an older man at this time, and he writes the book of Second Peter. It's hard for me to believe this guy did not have formal education, but he did have the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He was a fisherman, but a guy who knew God, knew the Old Testament, understood how God thought. Of course, he spent three and a half years with Jesus, God in the flesh. And he learned well, and God had used him. He did not uh, have Nathanael or Bartholomew write books of the Bible, but Peter did. When it came time to preach at Pentecost, it was Peter. It was not Thomas. It was not Simon the Zealot. It was Peter. And sometimes God uses people for reasons only God knows. And he puts people in the body as he would will. Well, it would be a good idea if all of us were satisfied where God put us. I was talking to folks who were interested in joining the church and going to new members class. And I was thinking about this today. It's just uh, uh, when we get, when you join a church, you're identifying with Jesus Christ. You're identifying with his body. You're subjecting yourself to instruction, to inspiration, to involvement and investment in the work of the Lord. And that's important. But boy, whether, you know, in a body, everything responds to the head my hand goes up here, or here, or I walk over here, or the words I'm formulating with my teeth and my tongue and my, my, my lips and my vocal cords and my diaphragm is all being done by the brain, by the head. You know, a good church responds to our head, which is not pastor, but Jesus Christ. That's why it's important you walk with God. And some of you you're the mouthpiece of the church. Some of you are the eyes of the church. Some of you are the ears. Some of you are the finger. Some of you are the fingernail. Some of you are the eyelid. <laughs> Some of you are the liver and the lungs and the, the pancreas. You you are covered up with skin. We don't even know your name. And we don't know all you do. And you do many things. No, when I when I came to the church today at 6:30, Brother Hudson, one of our deaf men who has been driving a church van for almost 30 years at First Baptist Church. But at 6.30 this morning, he was out there filling out paperwork, getting his van warmed up and getting ready to go and pick up people to bring them to church in the deaf ministry. You probably don't know Mr. Hudson. You don't know who he is. He's in the auditorium tonight. You may not know him. He's been here since 6.30 this morning. Someone fixed that Songbook that you have in front of you and spaced it just exactly right. Someone put the song, put the, uh, the, the offering envelope in there. Someone vacuumed every part of this auditorium a couple times this week. They did it for Wednesday night, did it again after a, a wedding on, on Friday night, did it yesterday, pulled all the stuff off and hid it and put things up here and lattice work, took it out, cleaned it. We don't know them. They're all covered up with skin, <laughs> but they're very in part important. And whether you do a lot or a little where we know or we don't know, uh, you're part of the body of Christ. If you're an eyelid, you say, well, man, an eyelid, I'm 200 and too many pounds. My eyelid only weighs ounces. But could you imagine life without an eyelid? You'd be holding your eyeballs in your hand. You wouldn't have anything to, to any washers to keep you, keep you get, the, get the blur off of you. So many things that they're small, but they're important. And you are very important to the work of the Lord. Your faithfulness, your giving, your attendance, your presence, your participation, whatever you do. I think Peter understood that. He uses chapter 1 to give them an exhortation, to have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, have faith in the power of Jesus Christ, have faith in the promises of Jesus Christ. He tells them, with this faith that was started in you, add to that faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, add temperance. And to temperance, I want you to add patience. And to patience, godliness. To godliness, brotherly love. To brotherly love, I want you to continue to add charity. You know, God's the one who saves us, and it's his power that helps us grow. But he says, you've got to give diligence to that. You know, if you're working on your Christian life, it's probably working. You know what it takes to walk with God? W-O-R-K. The walk takes work. You know what it takes to build a Sunday school class? Work. You know what it takes to work on a bus route and to build a bus route with Jesus? Work. It's, it's, it, you know what it takes to learn to forgive people? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, I want you to give all diligence to that because from that work, That Christian maturation, you'll get fruitfulness, you'll get vision, and you'll get stability. We've talked about that already. But in addition to the spiritual maturation that takes place in a Christian, whenever they get saved and they work to add these attributes, he says these things, these things. He's talking about those attributes I just called out just a moment ago that you can see in 2 Peter chapter 1. But he says, in addition to the Christian maturation, you need to give attention to divine revelation. And that's the Word of God. What you and I do with the Bible determines what God does with you. Tomorrow evening, I'll have the joy to preach on the Bible. Tomorrow night and Tuesday night in Shelbyville, Tennessee, at a Victory Baptist church at a a Bible and literature missionary foundation. And their emphasis is getting the Bible into the hands of people that don't have a Bible. They've printed millions of tracts. This particular organization was established before Bearing Precious Seed, before other other things, one of the oldest Bible printing uh, ministries that that we know about in the United States. But the the passion was to get the Word of God. And it's a talked-about book. Many of us, I'm kind of getting embarrassed because I probably have over 10 Bibles now. And I, I like having different Bibles and Bibles I've gone through, Bibles I kind of like to take with this, this, or, and I like to study there, I like to make notes on there. But, you know, think about much of the world doesn't even have one page of the Bible. They need the scriptures. We ought to love the Bible, but what we do with the Bible determines what God does with us how we need, and I covet your prayers tomorrow night as I preach and challenge pastors and leaders about about emphasizing world evangelism and getting the world, the gospel of Jesus. But God wants us, and he tells Peter, Peter says, listen, it was wonderful to be with Jesus in the Holy Mount. We saw him, we saw him with Moses and Elijah. And then we heard the, the voice of his father saying, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. He said, but you've got a more sure word of prophecy. It didn't come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And then he comes to chapter 2, and he really gives an explanation and a warning of false teachers. And then he gives examples of how God's going to deal with them. See, there were many scoffers in that day. It's like there are scoffers now. This week, I know Ms. Feinstein in the Senate, she just is just against anyone who believes in God. She's so hell-bent on, on abortion. I don't understand why she would be so excited about trying to kill babies. But she's just, she's, and she needs Jesus. I'm not necessarily, I'm not talking about stoning her house or anything. She needs the Lord. But just to me, it's kind of hard to get my head around why she hates this, this Chief Justice so much. For one reason, primarily. As she believes, in, the, she believes in, the, in a pro-life position. Just can't stand it. They got her on hot mic saying, she's always been pro-life. It's because of her religion. And by the way, that's a pretty good statement. When you believe God, you'll believe what he says. And, and uh, you'll believe that, that the Bible's the one and God's the one who brings life and takes it away. And, And even before you were ever uh, exposed outside your mother in your members, all your members were known by God. And he are fearfully and wonderfully made and marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. But I think about, I think about scoffers. You know, scoffers can laugh their way into hell, but they can't laugh their way out of it. They can make fun and, and and folks and of course, Saul was one of those guys who turned into the Apostle Paul. And some of the people that laughed the loudest become some of the greatest Christians. Think of old Carl Hatch. He's been with the Lord a long time, and old Carl Hatch, he was, uh, he was rough, but he had a Christian neighbor. And he would cuss him, he would get mad at him, he would, get, he would yell at him when he would say, "Carl." How about you? Do you know about Jesus? And he would get upset with him. He didn't invite him to church. He would just, he said, he said about that guy, he kept coming back with love. He said, that old guy just kept coming back to me with love. And then love broke through to that hardened, hardened heart. And that guy became one of the greatest soul winners of all time. He would embarrass the fire of you. You know, he'd, he'd go into Cracker Barrel. He won someone to Cracker Barrel. And the guy said, the owner, he you he goes, well, he'd go to Cracker Barrel and he said, I need to have that microphone. I got permission from the owner. All right, folks, we're glad you're here eating a cracker barrel, but I want to tell you about how you can know for sure you can avoid hell. <laughs> you know, and people are like, Really? You sure you have permission from the boss? Yeah, I have permission from the boss. He'd go to the airport and start slinging tracks underneath all the stalls, you know, and then in, in there. He just start slinging them out there and putting them out there for people to read. And he was a very aggressive soul winner, but he was one because some. He was a scoffer, but came to be uh, know Christ as a savior. But Peter now warns us of false prophets and teachers. Because doctrine determines destiny. Would you say it again with me? Doctrine determines? What you believe determines where you're gonna, what you're going to do. Where you're going to go? How you're going to end up? And I don't care what you believe about and many people say, well, we believe the same, we just practice differently. Well, I'm telling you, your doctrine determines your practice, too. I think those things line up. But he's challenging the people here that he's writing to, and, and people that are getting ready to go into eternity, when they talk, you want to listen. They may not be the name E.F. Hudson, but you want to Listen. And Peter is on the, in the last stage of his life, and he has important things to say. He says, Listen, let me talk to you about your Christian maturation. Let me talk to you about divine revelation. Let me talk to you about possible uh, bad doctrine. Let's look at it real quickly, and I'm just going to take a few moments. I know what time we have, and I'm going to watch your time go by. I'm just joking. Verse number one, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there were, there shall be false prophets among you. By the way, it's going to be in your, in your sphere of influence. Sometimes they, they show up inside the church, sometimes outside the church, sometimes in the radio, sometimes on television, sometimes in, in Bible colleges, they, false prophets come through, false teachers, who privily, privately shall bring damnable heresies. Even denying the Lord which bought them, that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Just a quick thought here. The Calvinists sometimes would struggle with this particular concept here. He said, look, even the false teachers who are damned to the lake of fire, their sins were paid for. Because Jesus not just the payment for our sins, but the sins for the whole world. He said these these false teachers that are on their way to an eternity without God, their sins were paid for. They were bought, but they not accepted the gift of eternal life. I think that's a great concept to consider. Verse number two, the Bible says, And many shall follow their pernicious, tricky, or uh, deceitful ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. He said, he said they, they're going to follow in that pathway. And anytime you have a false doctrine, there's two things you got to consider. Number one, the victims and the villains. You have people that are, that are propagating falsehood and they know it's wrong. Most people are villains. They're deceived. They don't know what they believe. They don't know. that they're, they're caught up in it. By the way, that's where you want to be gracious with people. I think Jesus was very strong with the Pharisees. You'll see him. He'll say, you vipers, you generation of vipers, you whited sepulchers. To the leaders who were villains, he was strong. To those who were victims, he was very gracious. He was kind to them and careful with them because they're weak and they needed a shepherd. He said they fainted like a sheep having no shepherd. They have no one, no one to help them. And we see here that some folks will follow the pernicious ways, and uh, they'll, they'll, they'll ignore the truth and take a lie. Isn't it amazing in our society today that wrong is right and right is wrong? <laughs> you say something that just seemed to me as clear as the day. We can just understand it like we can understand the nose in our face. But to, un- to ungodly people, that sounds like we just now, uh, we just can't believe it. Can't believe you would say that. Can't believe you'd believe that way. you are so crazy. Even just talking about the creation of the world <laughs> that God created. They just think, are you nuts? You don't believe in evolution? Boy, right is wrong, wrong is right. Look at verse number three. The Bible says, and, and through covetousness shall they with feigned words or fake words or not sincere make merchandise of you. Usually money's in the middle. You see it in television evangelists, you see it in politics, you see it oftentimes even uh, in pastors. I don't want this to be the case, but it's very difficult. All of us think about money every day. You can't think about First Baptist Church and this ministry without calculating the finances. But boy, I don't want to ever do things because of money. I want to do things because it's right or it's wrong, because we're led by the Holy Spirit of God. And uh, you pray that God will help us. But he said, these folks, they they're, it's all about money in the middle. They're trying to merchandise you, whose judgment now has long time Uh, lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. And then he's going to go to an explanation of of being aware and warning to examples. He's going to give numbers of examples. You can read some of the similar examples in the book of Jude. Let's look at these if we can, please. The Bible says in verse number four, read it out loud with me, would you please? For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down into hell, Okay, so uh, the Bible teaches that he created the angelic beings. And at least a third of them sinned, following Lucifer. And if God's going to deal with angels, he'll deal with us. He said if he didn't spare the angels of sin, but reserved them for eternal damnation, then he's he's a God of justice. Look at the next thing real quickly, because once again, Peter is going to say in chapter 3, verse 9, that there'll be many scoffers saying, you've said that he's coming back many, many times. That's where he'll kind of say, hey, God is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. He's going to share that a little bit here in this passage. Let's continue. Verse number five. And he spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the eighth person. The preacher of righteousness. The only time we hear that in the Bible is in this terms bringing the flood upon the world of the ungodly. He's going to use another example, the angels. He dealt with the angels, and he dealt with the world. If we can go back to Genesis chapter 6, we'll see that the thoughts of man were evil continually. It was getting sick. And God had thought about just, I'm just going to wipe out the human race and start over again. But Noah found... Grace in the eyes of the Lord. And when God, in judgment, he remembered mercy. By the way, you might be somebody that you feel like, you know what, I've crossed a line. I've, some folks think they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. They curse God. Or some people think they've just gone too far into sin. Let me just tell you, God can save you to the uttermost and to the guttermost. God is in this, in this grace-sharing business. And where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But in the old world, when that world was just going to hell in a handbasket and shaking their fists in the, in the face of God, there was one man, Noah, found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And, but he dealt with the world. He, he flooded the world. Gave us a rainbow that he would not do that again that way. But as you'll see in the next chapter, he's gonna do it with a fervent heat the next time. There'll be a fire that he'll destroy the world as we know it. And he's talking about these false teachers He said, listen, if if they do what's wrong, God has judgment. He judged the angels. He judged the old world. Let's look at the next group he judged. Look at the next one in verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example um, unto those who are after should live ungodly. And delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked, For that righteous man, the only way I would know that Lot was saved is because of that. That righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. And the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He says, look, I, I, if God dealt with the angels, if he dealt with the old world, if he dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah, and he spared Sod, he, he, he dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah, but spared Lot, that righteous man. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read the Old Testament, I don't see Lot as very righteous. The Bible gives us a little snapshot into his heart. Even though he loved cattle more than his kids, even though he pitched his tent to Sodom, Something inside of him grieved him when he saw the, the homosexuality, when he saw the pornography, when he saw the promiscuous and the wicked ways of Song. It grieved him. When he heard the music, when he watched the entertainment, when he listened to their speech and he heard their stories and their cursing and all the things that were going on as a pagan place, something inside of him was vexed, his righteous soul. By the way, I just want to say to you, just remind you, I just want to remind you, if you're saved, live like a saved person. If you're not saved, get saved. Make sure you're righteous. The Bible tells us that God made Jesus to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You then go into eternity in your sin or in God's Son. Make sure you're, you're in His righteousness. And the Bible's going to tell us here in chapter, chapter 2 and verse number 9, he says, listen, this is um, this God knows how to deliver the righteous, and he knows how to bring judgment to the sinner. And he's laying out a place for us to help us understand that God's got it all together. You know, one thing you can trust God, he's got his eye on the, thermos, and the thermometer and his hand on the thermostat. He knows what's going on in the world. Many of us are so worried about the election. Knock it off. Stop worrying and start praying. You're not gonna, I think every one of us, if you don't vote and you can, there's something wrong with you. You You're crippled too high for crutches. Okay, everybody ought to go vote. But you should not worry a second. You should ask God to help you. You should ask God to have mercy upon our country. You should do what you can do to vote, to win someone else to Christ. To talk to someone else about the Lord, do something. You know how people are, are one to Christ? Usually one at a time. <laughs> one Christian tell another some, telling someone about Jesus Christ. They say, you know what? One thing we can, we can get upset about God. Well, God, when are you going to deliver somebody? Or when are you going to fix all these problems? He knows when he's going to do it. And one thing we don't like about God, and he's, one of his favorite tools is delay. We say, well, why don't you do this right now? Years ago, I had a neighbor, and he was a Greek guy. His name was Ted Markogenesis, and Ted was a a mess. I had the joy to share the gospel with him. I actually actually led his wife to Christ on a recent trip to California. I don't know if Ted got saved or not, but one of the things he would always say to me, if your God's all that, when's he going to come down here and fix all these problems? Why do people have to go through suffering? Why do bad things? Now, he didn't suffer at all, but he was concerned about everybody else's suffering. He didn't do anything about it, but he was concerned about it. He, got, he had a, a case against God on it. And he would, he would say that. And you know what he said? These scoffers have done this forever. They have, they've questioned God, they've questioned his, questioned his ways. But here's some things we can learn tonight, and I'll close with this. God is a very gracious God. And for that reason, we need to be soul conscious. Because where sin abounded, grace is much more abound. God is a very judge, uh, just, he's a God of justice. There is a hell, there is a place reserved for eternal damnation, and that's why we should be soul conscious. What did we do last week to get someone to Jesus? I'm going to talk about it as a church. I'm, I rejoice with that. If you gave last Sunday, that put fuel in the buses today. Thank you for doing that. If you gave to missions last week, that helped get the gospel. We're going to be sending all of our mission support on the 27th of this month or whatever. We'll send it out for next month. Thank you for doing that. What are you doing? What am I doing? Do you have a gospel track on your person? Do you have it in your purse? Have you given to somebody? Have you prayed for the lost? Have you walked across the street to get your neighbor, try to engage in conversation with them? Are you burdened about the lost? I think here we have an explanation of false teachers, but we also have a, 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 a gracious God who knows how to deliver the righteous and a just God who knows how to bring damnation and judgment to those who are not. And I think all of us in this room, that ought to bother us a little bit. That ought to provoke us to say, you know what? God, use my life to get the gospel to somebody. Could I encourage you today? Why don't you pray that God would use you this week to bring someone to Jesus. If you can't win them, you'll witness to them. If you can't win them, you'll warn them. You'll do your best. And and the first person you talk to, they don't get saved. You'll witness to somebody else. We talk about things we love that sometimes we don't talk about Jesus. Why don't you ask God? Say, God, if you're a God that's a God of judgment and a God of grace, then both of those should motivate us to be servants of soul winning.